and welcome to episode 37 of the Command Space podcast. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined today by my friend and good buddy, Mr. Brett Kelly. Hi, Hi Mike. How are you doing? I'm great, dude. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So, Brett, why don't you tell people, tell all the listeners, uh, what it is that you like to be known for? <sighs> hmm. Um, well... First and foremost, my luscious head of thick brown hair. Mm-hmm. Second, uh, I well, what I like to be known for. Yeah. I uh, I write things on the internet. Uh, I wrote an uh, an electronic book, which I think we're going to talk about that people like um, about a piece of software called Evernote. Um, hmm. I have a lot of tattoos. I got a family. Uh, that's pretty much it. So you have a website called Note Yes, Gap. I do. Nerdgap.com. That's right. That's where. What do you, what do you write on Nerdgap.com? Um, well, it's sort of undergoing a bit of a metamorphosis at the moment. It's very, um, very pretty right now. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, so historically, it was sort of about I don't know, like some weird amalgamation of like technology and pro- productivity slash efficiency and whatever else I decided to write about at a given time that I wanted people to read. And I don't know, like a few months ago, I just, not a few months ago, a few weeks ago, I just decided that I wanted this to be a little bit more pointed in where it was going, a little more intentional. So my, my three topics loosely are technology efficiency and business. Since over the last couple of years, business has become more of a interest to me since I, I run my own business now and wanted to make that better and sharing what I've learned and what I think is good and bad, et cetera, et cetera. So, how long have you been writing NerdGap at, at, at that site for? Um, Many years, right? Let's see, about three years. But, I mean, I guess one of the main things that has come out of that site, I guess, and, and, and your, your work online is your book that you mentioned, Evernote Essentials. Right. Um, which, we'll talk about this maybe in a bit, which has led to, to you now working at Evernote, which uh, is, a, is a company that, that many of us, I think, are familiar with. Yes. Um, I feel like it's a company that doesn't really need explanation at this point. <laughs> right. I, you I agree. kind of know about it. It's quite it's been around for how long has Evernote been around for? Like four, five, um, six years? Actually longer than that. It's kind of an interesting story. So Evernote, the company has existed for like oh, like twelve years, I think. Um it started out as a Windows only, desktop only shareware application that was like for note taking. And it was, you know, I, I don't recall how successful or, or not it was, but it existed sort of in this on its own for, uh, yeah, like several years. And it just it was one guy running it, I think. I'm, I'm doing all of this from like very faint memory, so I'll probably get some of it wrong. But um, yeah, and then around 2000, I think 2006 or 2007, um, they were either going to like close the company down or they wanted to sort of re- revitalize it, reinvent it. Um, so they, through a series of conversations, got Phil Libin, the current CEO, got him involved. And, you know, over many years and lots of cool innovations, like now it's sort of what it is, the, 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 the darling of Silicon Valley that it is now. And the rest is history. The rest, as they say, is history. So how many years ago did you put pen to paper or finger to keyboard on Evernote Essentials? Started writing it in January of 2010. So Evernote Essentials, which we now know has been around for three years, um, is a book that, that you have written that 
gives people an introduction to um, and some tips and, and tricks and workflows and, and, and that's and, and the like for using Evernote. It's kind of like a guide for people getting into it and a guide for people that use it to use it better. Would that be a, an app way to describe the book? I think so. Um, it's geared primarily toward like new users or maybe users who haven't really engaged with the, the product a lot. Or like they, they, They've got it installed, they've poked around with it a little bit, but they haven't really used it in any meaningful way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's geared toward those two groups of people. So you decided that you wanted to write a book about the product. Why yes. Evernote? I mean, I'm sure that you used and do use many services, many applications, many products. Why did you think to yourself, this is the the book I need to write, it needs to be about Evernote? Well, at the time, um, it was sort of a, a combination of me being having used Evernote. I used it for a couple of years before I wrote the book, and I got really, really good with it. And I, I just sort of I got involved in like the like the forums a little bit, and I would listen to their podcasts and stuff. And I just really liked the company and what they what they did and what they were making. And I realized like they're gaining a lot of listeners or a lot of users rather. Like you know, every couple of months they'd announce, "Oh, now we're at this many million users," and it was just sort of you know growing really really quickly. And in my time using it, I had realized that there wasn't a whole lot in the way of like useful documentation about it. They had some stuff they had written, but it was mostly like old Word documents that were just like screenshot by screenshot uh, tours of what the buttons meant, you know. And I thought, well, you know, I've been kicking the tires on this thing for a long, long time, and I know it. Kicking the tires is the wrong expression. I've been using it for a long time, and I know it really, really well. And I've been writing on the internet for a pretty long time. And I thought, well, you know, why not give this a shot? Um, there's a, another. The other reason was um, my family and I were sort of hovering in a not awesome financial situation. You know, we weren't, weren't starving or anything, but like we had some debt and I was, my wife still works and I hated that. So I'm like, okay, well maybe this will be a, an entrepreneurial effort. So yeah, that's, that's sort of what, as as for, as for why they're not the other applications, um, most of their other applications that I used and still use are either far too difficult (laughs) For somebody like me who's not terribly smart to write about in an intelligent way, in a complete way, or old enough to where they're kind of like, well, finding information on this is really easy. You don't have to, you know, you could Google for how do I do X in this application and you'll generally find the answer. Evernote, that wasn't really the case at the time. So when you decided that this was the book that you wanted to write, did you did you have a look to see if anybody else had done a similar thing? Did you see if there was a like, competition? Uh, not really. I should have, but I, I didn't really. No. Well, I think history and hindsight has shown that you actually didn't need to. Yeah. I, well, they had when I got in touch with them about it before I started writing it. They were like, "Oh, wow! Like we really wanted something like this for a long time," which you know could be interpreted as nothing like this currently exists. So. I suppose in that in that sense, I knew that there wasn't anything else out there like it. Yeah, I think you but, wouldn't bother looking because even if there was, obviously, if the company hadn't found out about it, then it's probably not doing too well. Yeah. So you right. you contacted Evernote before you put pen to paper. Yes. And was that just you know were you worried that they might turn around and be like, hmm, we don't want you using our name, and then right. kind of that's exactly it. why actually. Okay, <laughs> and then you have to call it just. Mm, essentials. Yeah. <laughs> Rhymes with clever note essentials. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
yeah, no, I, I was wondering if I wanted. I, mean, I had I had various titles kicking around that I ended up not using, but all of them involved the word Evernote because you know it's about Evernote. And I was like, well, I'd hate to spend a lot of time and a certain bit of money making this thing, only to have them like sue me for my socks because I didn't, you know, <laughs> go yeah. the proper channels or whatever. So I emailed them and asked them, can I use the name Evernote? Can I use the elephant logo, etc.? Like, what are my what constraints am I under here? And then they replied with, wow, this is a great idea, et cetera. And they're like, don't use the elephant, but you can use the name. So I was like, all right, cool. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. And they were really like, uh, they were excited about it, like I said. And they were they said that they would be happy to help promote it when it was done. And, um, you know, they put ads like in the apps. They used to do that. Um, they'd run a little, you know, 125 square ad in the bottom left-hand corner of the desktop apps, which was crazy because, you know, lots and lots and lots of people would see it. So that was that was very exciting, and it did it did happen. So that was awesome. very very generous of them. Yeah, I bet that really helped. <laughs> I can imagine that little ad really really helped things. Boy, you have no idea. <laughs> That's probably how I first found out about the book. In all honesty, yeah, because I knew about Evernote Essentials before me and you had ever been introduced to each other. I think. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I think so because I knew you. I knew who you were before you knew who I was. Stop. Quit it. Um, So (laughs) tell me about, I mean, because obviously you you wrote the book and you continue to write the book. You've recently had a a, a version. Is it version three? That's right. Um, Come out. What what is your setup? What what are you writing on? Um, Like tools-wise? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I write in in Markdown in either... Um, a program I use called MacVim, which is a variant of the Vim text editor. Some programmer types might know what that is. Uh, on my Mac and on my iPad, I use uh, Byword, and it's so also the Dropbox. How how much of of your writing is split between the two machines? So how much iPad stuff do you do? Well, I probably did in this last go around. I rewrote a lot of it. I probably rewrote about half of the book. And I would say that eighty percent of that writing was done on an iPad. Wow. Did you expect that that was going to be the case? Um, no. Although I think this, this coincided nicely with, with a time in my life when I was I had this iPad sitting here that I would use for reading stuff occasionally or playing a game with my kids or whatever. And I, I'm like, you know, I see a lot of people using these things for like really kind of awesome workflowy type stuff. And I thought I should really just be more intentional about making the iPad a more important part of how I work. Because I have effectively a little tiny laptop that I can take with me anywhere and run for 10 hours with, with cellular data. And so I have the internet all the time. Like, that's a pretty compelling idea. And I wasn't really taking advantage of it. So, And um, when I was had a lot of writing to do, like I would routinely skip out of my house for several hours, usually at night. Um, you know, I'd leave the house at like 8 o'clock and go and sit either on like a city bench or at a coffee shop or wherever I could find a spot and just drink water, and type on my iPad for three or four hours. And that's how most of the writing got done. So you use a keyboard case, don't you? And you have yes. a regular-sized regular, regular sized iPad, the big iPad. Yes. I use the Logitech Ultra Thin, which if you have a regular-sized iPad, is I highly, highly recommend it. It's very good. Yeah, I had one of those. I liked it very much. It's a, now you have an iPad mini, right? I have an iPad mini now, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't like that, though, did you? No, I had one for about a week, and then I returned it. It was too small. 
It's too small. It was, it was awesomely small for doing small iPad things, but too small for doing uh, writing. It, it, well, it, obviously, I could write on it. I have, I have this like the origami, that little keyboard case that they make for the iPad. Or, I'm sorry, for the Apple uh, Bluetooth keyboard, mm-hmm. and that you know unfurls into this little iPad stand. I use that with the mini for a few instances of writing. You know, a couple nights a week or whatever. Yeah, and. I found that A, it was really cumbersome to carry those two big things around, which sounds totally lame, and it sort of is. But I think the biggest problem is that I couldn't sit it on my lap. I do a lot of writing, just me sitting in a chair or sitting on a thing that can support my weight. It's not always at like a fancy table or whatever. It's just, like I said, I do. I sit on city benches actually kind of a lot. <laughs> and so that I needed to be able to sit on my lap and do it. So that's a big part of why the mini went away. Because they, they do one of the... Um the cases for the smaller mini, but everybody that I see that's used one of those, they don't rave about it as much as they do um, the regular Ultrafin. It's because it is a, a very miniature keyboard. Yeah, I, I can't abide that. I can barely, I mean, I, I've gotten used to the one on the Ultrafin, the full-size Ultrafin, but put me in front of an 8-inch keyboard, I'd be like, no, sorry. I mean, my hands are huge, but they're big enough to make that really uncomfortable. Yeah, I... Uh, I can't remember. There was always something I found very strange about the regular Ultrafin. Something to do with the caps lock key, I think. Mm. But I can't remember. This is boring now. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably, right? Although you'd be surprised the sorts of things that nerds enjoy. So um, you, you said that you use uh, MacVim to do the writing. How do you... Yep. I mean, the book is very beautifully laid out. Thank you. Um, how is How do you take care of that? Well, uh, so I, I, I pay a guy who's not me, uh, named Aaron Mankey, who some of you might know. He has a show here called uh, Homework, and he runs a design studio called Wet Frog Studios. And so I pay him American dollars to take my markdown text and a bunch of images. Um, I actually keep it all in Git, on GitHub. <laughs> and so I give him an export of a certain version of the text, and he lays it out in the PDF, and then he sends it to me. He's a man of such skills. Dude, he's good. Very good. He's really good. So, you, um, the, the book is is just text, text and images. That's right. And you choose PDF for this, right? Why? In the day of interactive books and, and EPUB and, and all of this, why do you why do you continue to use PDF? Well, I think that PDF still. I, know, I have no data for back in, to back this up. I'm I, and I could be wrong, but. You can open a PDF on almost anything. You know, Windows computer, Mac, whatever tablet you have can certainly render a PDF. And it's it may not be the ideal way to view it, especially if you're a big Kindle user. I get a handful of people who ask me why there's no Kindle version. But frankly, like I don't sell to a lot of nerdy types. And not then Kindles are obviously not, you know, relegated to only nerds, but the the number of nerd non-nerds who own and use a Kindle like capably who would know how to sideload a file into their Kindle is pretty small, I think. So, and I've, when I, and we've, we've made it so that it looks really nice on an iPad or on, on a, on a, you know, a 10 inch tablet or an eight inch tablet looks fine on the, on the mini too. But it was mostly just because I wanted to make it one thing. I wanted to keep it simple basically. Cause I know I, I could do some wizardy magic and dump out an EPUB and a, whatever, a KF8 or a Mobi or whatever runs on the Kindle and you know any other any other number of formats, but I just thought, well, it's a PDF may not be exactly what you want, but if you are interested in the information, and I make it clear up front that this is a PDF, then 
okay, that's that's my that's my uh, my offer. And like I said, I get a handful of people asking uh, for Kindle versions and for iBooks versions. Um, and frankly, it's just not, it's not enough to justify because it would cost extra to do that. Like I would have to, you know, write some computer programming things to like dump all of it into like HTML that would be convertible into an EPUB and then have to do that. And I'm just, uh, you know, I'm the thing people buy it now, <laughs> plenty of people yep. buy it and it's, yep. I'm, I'm fine with, with doing it the way I do it. So you say plenty of people, what, how many people have bought Evernote Essentials? Boy, uh, we just ticked over, I think 21,000. That is incredible. Like that is a ridiculously large number. Yes, it is. I, I, I still can't believe it sometimes. And that makes you a gajillionaire, right? I have. I am sitting literally on a gajillion dollars. That's excellent. I'm, I find it peculiar that you haven't spent any of them and that you just made a chair out of them. But to each their own, Brett, to each yeah, their own. Well, my first gajillion was going to the chair. I decided <laughs> that back when I was 10. The next gajillion I'll use to feed my family. Excellent. So yeah, you sell pretty hungry. You sell the book directly, as you mentioned. So you yes. you don't use any stores, like because you said about sideloading. So you you know you you would your basically what I'm trying to get at is your initial reaction to it is you wouldn't want to make a Kindle version because people would sideload, which tells me that you have no interest in putting it in the Kindle store. Nope. Why? 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 Why do you want to sell it? And we're gonna. I want to get into the process in a moment. So how you manage the the sale of the book, but why do you seem to have an aversion to selling things through a store? Well, I don't have an aversion to selling things through a store, I have an aversion to selling this particular thing through a store. Yes. And I'll tell you why. Because, well, it, it costs $29, which for some people, they hear that, they go, are you effing kidding me? That's ridiculous. I would never pay that for anything. And I, and I totally get it. I wouldn't expect you to. But a lot of people a lot of people pay pay for it, like, like we just said. And so let's, let's start with Amazon. Amazon, if you go to Amazon to buy a book, like a Kindle book, almost all of them are $10 or less. Right, they have some that are like you know the publishers set the price and it's like thirteen bucks, but um, but none of them. I've never seen a, a Kindle book that costs anywhere near what mine costs. So that's number one. People would go there and they would you know search for Evernote and they would see the list of you know I think there's five or six Evernote ebooks on the Kindle store now, and they would see like one buck, two bucks, five bucks, and then thirty bucks, and they'd be like, what? Well, why? No, I'm, I'll, I'll go for the five dollar one. Thank you very much. And it would probably garner a bunch of one star fail reviews because it's too expensive. Right. Which, yeah. You know. And then, then that would start ranking well in Google, and that would just turn into a, a poop show. Uh, and you know, not not even mentioning the fact that I would have to give a, a big chunk of the revenue to Amazon. And I don't really know the specifics of this, but uh, David Sparks talked about it a bit on Mac Power Users when he put out the uh, paperless book like last year. If you want to sell through Amazon, like if it's over a certain file size, like they ding you for the bandwidth to deliver it. Like you have to pay for it yourself for each copy that's sold. Hmm. So, and my my the ebook I think is like eight meg. It's not huge. I mean his his ebooks are massive because they're full of video and stuff. But even still, like I would hate to put it up there, have a bunch of people say it's crap because of how, how much it costs, having not read it, and then have to pay a bunch of money to anybody who did buy it. So that's point number one. Well, for well, that's Amazon. As far as Apple, it's mostly the same argument except Apple. You can't price anything higher than I think fourteen ninety nine. Um, and that's okay. That, I'm sorry. My, my product is worth more than that, I think. So I'm just choosing not to do that. Um, and then there again is the giving and also paying them a portion of the revenue. Now the, the major, major reason why, and this surprises people sometimes is 
I would have no accessibility or no visibility on my customer, my customer list after if they had bought through Amazon or, or Apple because vendors don't get to see the names and email addresses and information about the people who bought from them. And to me, that's extremely valuable information. It, well, it is. And uh, we'll, we'll park that there for now. That's what I, yeah. I did. Because I, <laughs> I figured you'd want to talk you. about that later. Yeah, I, I do actually want to talk about that in a bit. Um, but I want to I go, so that I feel that you've, you've very succinctly given the reason. And I think the main one for me is the fact that you, you value your work at a fair, what you consider to be a fair price for it and don't want to lower that just to be on another platform. And I think that that is a, I think that's a solid business practice. Well, it's worked out well enough. I think uh, a lot of people have, and this is a, a common answer to what I just said as well. If you put it on, if you lower the price and put it on Amazon and, and Apple on the iBook store, you would make up in volume almost certainly what you lose in revenue. So, like, I would sell two copies for every one if I sold if I sold it for fifteen bucks, which again is true. But see also sharing revenue. See also no customer visibility. Mm-hmm. And so. also, I don't know if there would be, but support you're then doubling the amount of support for the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know, if I don't know how much support you would need to do in those scenarios, I imagine you probably have to do quite a lot of customer support at the moment yes because you are selling directly mm-hmm. so how do you manage the support so i this is what i assume is um bob in alabama can't work out how to view the book on his nexus 7 i get a few of those um well first of all text expander it like has literally saved my bacon so many times literally like i have bacon and it has saved it literally <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of times, um, just because I <laughs> can I tell you about the like the dumbest thing I've ever done. Yes, almost in my entire life. I would this love to hear that. Okay, so I never I have shared this with I've shared this with friends in Meet Space, but never like publicly online. Uh, so when we re- 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 released version three a couple of months ago, um, I had all these customers that I had imported into a new system, which I now use from the old system that I used to use. The old system was called eJunkie.com. And that's a very, very straightforward way to sell digital products online. Um, I grew out of it and needed something different. So anyway, I brought all these email addresses over. It was like 18,000 people of like previous customers into this new system. And I, I had the ability to create emails. You know, and it's, a, it's an email marketing service that does a lot of other stuff like products and con- customer management and stuff like that. So I wrote an email, that, like a, an email template that whenever anyone bought the book, like it would automatically get sent this email that had like you know a, a website where they could log in their credentials and then how to download it. That was like the the typical purchase process. And I wrote another email template that's basically said, "Hey, your update is ready," because everyone who bought it up to that point was going to get the next version for free, which we're going to talk about talk about later, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sent these eighteen thousand previous customers the. Thank you for buying email, <laughs> the one that I had sent to new customers. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, no. I, I, oh my God, like I was inundated, <laughs> like daily, deluged, deluged. I was just drowning in email from people going, I didn't buy anything from you. Who the hell are you? What is this? I don't know. People who hadn't heard from me in like two years. I totally forgot about me and the product they bought. And people were pissed. They were flying off the handle mad. And so I, li- <laughs> I sat for like probably 
a week and a half every night for like three hours. All I would do is like choose an email, run text expander snippet, send over and over and over and over and over again, explaining what I did. And like I seriously probably got a thousand, fifteen hundred of these messages. Really? Like that's a lot of email. Unbelievable. And so yeah. Rule number one, you know, that whole measure twice, measure uh, twice, cut one thing. Do mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. especially when you're sending email. Um, <laughs> I forgot where we were going with all that. Um, I I think what I asked, uh, I, I can't remember how we got onto text expander, but let me get let. I can't remember so how, how do you support. That's what you asked. Yes, support. That's yes. it. Yes, thank you. At so, least one of us is a host here. Yeah, yeah. So most of the support I get now is people who order who go through the process of buying and then they don't get the email that says how to how to get it because it routinely gets sent to spam which is annoying not routinely but often enough to where i get a few a few emails a day about it so that's easy i just go to a website copy some credential information and then run text expander and send it back to them and it's all fine mm-hmm. um i very rarely get people who can't open it or can't view it somehow because they can usually open it on the computer that they're that they're reading the you know the web page or the email on yeah sure but um. Yeah, that's that's mostly it. I get a, you know every now and again I'll get a refund request, but yeah, that's mostly it. Is I didn't get the email that has the download information in it. How? So you mentioned you'd outgrown eJunkie, which was like an all-in-one solution. So what is your current process? Your buying process? Um. Well, eJunkie runs off of it's. It's not really an all-in-one solution. I'm not sure if I, if I said that. I didn't mean it. I maybe um, inferred that. Okay. Sorry. So eJunkie, all you all you do is just go on to their website, sign up for an account, upload a thing you want to sell, or link to like an S3 because you can like have it linked to your own service if you want to, and tell them how much you want to charge for it, and then you know you, they'll give you a button or a link and say, okay, well when people click this, they'll be taken to PayPal, they'll be charged whatever you said to charge them, and they'll be taken to a download page where they can download the thing you you link to, easy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I hadn't been doing very much of at all, and I've gotten a lot of poop about this from uh, businessy friends of mine, is I wasn't doing anything to follow up with them really. After they bought the thing, like that was that was all they heard from me ever again, pretty much. Unless there was an update, which I've done three or two. So I wanted to be more, and this is where it's going to sound a little bit douchey. So whatever, uh, is be a little bit more uh, involved in the customers with with the customers. So when they they sign up for the when they buy the book, they get added to this email thing where I send them emails every now and again about Evernote, about just random stuff that I think, and they're obviously free to opt out whenever they want. And I don't spam them, but I mean, I, I guess I sort of do, but no, that's not true. I don't spam them because um, they have to they have to confirm they want to be a part of it. But um, yeah, so I moved from eJunkie and I was using Mailchimp to augment to to you know. I was collecting email addresses with Mailchimp and never really using them, so I moved the whole operation to this new service called. Um, I'm confused. They're, they're, it was called Office Autopilot when I signed up for the name. I think they're changing the name to Entreport now. I don't know. What but, a great name! Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a it's a big. You know, I can sell stuff through it. I can manage affiliates through it. I can. I have a big list of all of the people who sign up for on the, the you know the newsletter on the blog or customers or affiliates, and they all have their own individual like contact records. So it's like a great big address book, and I have all the stuff they've done, which is really great. So now, when somebody buys it, instead of being sent just to a web page with a download link, now they get actually sent to a web a website that I operate with a credit card form in it that I built or that I modified, um, and then. 
once they pay, like they never leave my my properties, I guess. <laughs> like um, all the whole transaction, all the interaction takes place over stuff that all the sites that I run. So once they buy, they get an email saying, okay, go to this website and input this username and password. And so they, they go to a WordPress site that I, again, run, and they fill in the login and it takes them to a download page, and they can download it from there. And you're happy with the system? Works well for you? Yeah, I am. Um, it's Since I'm not using – I was using PayPal to process all the payments before. So whenever I would have to look up a transaction or whatever, it just became a big, big pain in the butt. Now I have all of that stuff like ready at hand. Um, they actually have uh, – Office Autopilot has an API that I'm going to be – probably building some stuff on so I can automate the really easy stuff or the really routine stuff that I have to do, which is another thing that I'm very happy that they offer. But yeah, on the whole, I'm, I'm pretty happy with, with what I've got now. There were some hiccups getting into it, but yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. So a couple more questions and we'll take a, a, a break. How many hours of work will you estimate have gone into Evernote Essentials? The actual produce, the production of the book itself. Hmm. Like, in all versions combined? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, that guy? Right? Uh, geez. Probably 120. That's, that's many hours. Yeah. The first version came out pretty quick. I got that done in about 70 hours. Okay. So, then that was that was from nothing. That was, you know, from the, from the idea to product. Um, now... I mostly do updates, like, um, you know, obviously I do updates. Um, but those are either I'll dump chapters I don't like or I'll rewrite chapters that are good but incorrect or incomplete. Um, like this last version, I probably spent a total of like 25 hours working from version 2 to version 3. But I like it's, it's, it's kind of a bad example of how long it ought to take to, to make something like this mm-hmm. because I'm really, really like knowledgeable about the product. Like I know it backward and forward and I can write about it without having to look up a lot of stuff. I don't have to like, you know, have it open in front of me clicking around and verifying that what I'm saying is true. Like I just know how it works. So I'm able to write it a lot faster. I guess you've given the key, right? Write about what you know. Yep. So I've got a a couple of questions from uh, the listeners and the first one comes from at Clueless. He wants to know, I thought this was really interesting. How do you tackle the, this project with a subject matter that changes so often? So Evernote is constantly adding new features and stuff like that. And how do you choose, you know, oh, right, I need to include this. I need to go back and rewrite this. Like, how do you manage that? Well, I, I decided pretty early on that I wasn't going to write at length about the mobile apps. So like Evernote for Android, iPhone, et cetera. Um, just because those are the ones, and this is uh, my own perception, but those are the ones that seem to get the, the greatest amount of iteration. Like those, those change the most frequently. And I, if I started writing about those, then I would be changing the thing a lot because they just change so often. But I'm sticking mostly with the. De- I explained the desktop apps pretty in depth. Um, but beyond that, it's mostly just like how to use the service itself, like the best practices, in my opinion, for how to use it, not how to like how to navigate the Android app. Um, and it's actually not super hard to keep on top of it. With well, they they released version five for Mac uh, near the end of last year, and that kind of that turned into a pretty big project because I had to rewrite the entire Mac chapter, which was I don't know four thousand words or something. 
Plus, I hadn't really used the, I hadn't used that interface for that long, so I had to figure out new stuff and learn all the new tricks and all that. But um, yeah, I, I I've decided early on that I'm not going to try to be everything to all Evernote users. Like I'm going to pick the the basics, the things that I feel are important when you're starting out, and cover those. Most of them are concepts, not actual like tactical how to use the programs. And having built in that sort of constraint has made it easy, not easy, well, has made it easier to not feel completely overwhelmed by it. Is that a good answer? Yeah. Yeah, that right. is fair. And uh, our good friend, Mr. Schechter, Mr. Michael Schechter, would uh, like to know um, how you have cultivated your voice as a writer, as he feels is a tad distinctive. And I agree with him, which is why I wanted to know. When I read your, your, your blog posts and, and such, I, I would know it was you. Like if, if somebody just said, read this, I would know it was you. Have you done anything to to give this voice, or you mean do do you purposefully write as you would talk, or I mean how how does is there a process? Um, not not a conscious one. I mean, I heard a long time ago that writing while you talk, or that writing the way you talk, is a pretty effective way to just differentiate yourself as a person who writes, which I've taken that to heart, and I believe that very 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 truly, but. Um, there's one thing that I do. I, I think it's really important to, unless you're writing like a, you know, like an oncology report or something. That's tra- it's important to try to be like interesting or funny or both. And I don't consider myself to be a terribly hilarious person, um, but I do know one trick that I do, which I don't know. Maybe I'm giving away the farm here, or whatever. But like <laughs> when I'm writing something, if I'm talking about like I, if I was, if I say I was really tired. I don't say I was really tired. I say I could have nodded off at the wheel or like adding a little bit of detail or unexpected detail. Like if you're frustrated with the line at the DMV, just don't say I was frustrated with the line at the DMV. Say I wanted to stab myself in the foot with a steak knife because I was in the line at the DMV and that sounded like more fun, you know, something <laughs> like that. And I try to throw a few of those things in there. This is so um, like whatever, navel easy, but I, I don't know. Like I, I try to make it interesting and try to make it entertaining. And, I think that's what most people pick up on mm-hmm. when they read the stuff that I write. I do that. It's all over the book. Um, you know, if you've read it, the cumin waffle thing was a huge, like that's, that's, that is that idea put into practice. <laughs> and I can explain what that is if you want, but no, don't, don't, <laughs> okay. don't, don't explain it. People have to go and read the book to find out what you're talking about. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like I just spent a lot of time. I mean, I've written a lot over you know, 11 years now. And yeah, so I just write like I talk and try to make it interesting or try to make it funny. Awesome. And I wish it were, and I do pay very close attention to what I read and who I, and who I listen to, um, like books, you know, podcasts, like I'll, if I, if I hear certain words or certain turns of phrase, like I am, you know, I'm not like super diligent about it, but I will write things down or put them. I have a, I have a, a note in Dropbox. Which is going to sound funny. Um, yeah, not where I expected it <laughs> to be. It's just a running list of what? It's not where I expected it to be. Uh, I know it's a running list of words that I've heard that I will either want to use or want another definition of, and I just you know look them up, put the definition in there, and I just think they're good words, and but they're things I've heard people say, and I go, okay, well maybe I can work that into something at some point. But yeah, I I, I love English so much. It's such an expressive, malleable language, and being able to like learn from the people you listen to and read, I think is a, a good way to 
like welcome that influence on your on your own voice i don't know i like that that was a good answer thank you you use the english language well thank you so uh i want to take a very quick break and uh, thank our sponsor for this episode and that is the fine folks over at squarespace.com who give you everything you need to make an amazing website. Squarespace are a fully hosted, completely managed environment for creating and maintaining a beautiful website, blog, portfolio, or even a site for your business or an online store. And that's what I want to talk about a bit today. So let's say you are a person like Mr. Brett Kelly and you have a book that you want to sell and you don't have the the knowledge or the you don't want to put all of the effort in that Brett has put in as he's explained with all these different systems to set up an online store well squarespace can give you all of the tools that you need to sell things online even something like a digital book so they've integrated with stripe as a payment processor they have built into any new or existing squarespace site you can add a store so a shop front with all of your products for people to see and they can go through the whole process and you can sell physical or digital goods. They have inventory management, order processing. You can print things like packing slips and create customizable emails all in one intuitive interface. So it's all part of the Squarespace interface. The same interface where you would manage your site and manage maybe the blog and the pages. You can also manage your your wares, as it were. Um, you can set up things like multiple shipment methods. You can have um, you can you can have all of your files. So let's say your ebook hosted on Squarespace's servers. That's where people will download it from. The emails that they that they you you program to be sent once they buy a product will have a download link in which you can your customer can click and they have expiry times on them as well, so they can't be shared willy nilly around the internet. So. That is a all-in-one solution to selling things online that is incredible. Bar none is just fantastic. And the fact that you can integrate this into any Squarespace site with their beautiful themes, which are fantastically designed, their drag-and-drop page-building system, which makes it really easy to put custom layouts together. They have mobile apps, which you can view your statistics, which are all real-time. Um, you can post to the to your site. You know, If you want to post to the blog or whatever, you can do that from the apps. You can take advantage of their award-winning 24-7 customer support and loads more features. Um, they are really the one-stop shop to putting an amazing website online. I want you to go and find out more about this by going to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels at 70-D-E-C-I-B-E-L-S. You can also sign up for a free trial there, which you can give Squarespace a, a whirl and see if it's the right solution for you. I'm sure it will be. Squarespace plans start at $10 a month for their standard plan. They also have unlimited and business plans. And you can get discounts if you buy one of their one or two-year um, plans up front rather than paying month to month. If you use the code 70 decibels 4, that's the number 4, um, you will get 10% off your first order, whatever that may be, at Squarespace. So go check them out now. So that's Squarespace, everything you need to make an amazing website. So, Mr. Kelly, are you, are you still around? I am, yes. Good. So this was a... This, this next part, when me and you were talking about you know, what we were going to discuss today, you gave me a heading business isn't evil <laughs> right and i wanted and the reason i actually asked you to come on the show was because i had uh, read your post on on nerd gap on your blog called how poor planning and inexperience yielded me insanely loyal customers yes sir that's the name a very of the post. Uh, very markety headline mm-hmm. i think that's how it works right i think that's what you need mm-hmm. to do and but in this you talk about the fact that you 
get if given free updates and things like that for your book. Um, yes. So I would like to hear your your one. You know, t- tell us a little bit about that, and also why did you decide to do things in such a way? Um, why did I just decide to give free updates to customers? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it turns out as that as that post title uh, sort of gave it away a little bit. Uh, when I was getting ready to start selling the ebook back in 2010, I was some I have, I have friends who sell things on the internet who have been selling things since before I have done it, and they were, they were pretty helpful in telling me how the process worked and etc. So. I realized that a bunch, most of them had like you can get free updates on their on their products they sell for six months or a year, and after that, I'm assuming there would be some sort of nominal update fee if you wanted to buy the thing again and get the updated versions. And I realized that I had no idea how to do that, like technically, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was sort of on the hook to launch my thing within a few days, and I didn't really have time to investigate it. And I just decided right then I'm like, and cause, like I mentioned earlier, like I like simple. I just decided, screw it. I'm not going to charge for updates because that just sounds way too hard. Um, and most, and also because like I don't, I didn't see, I didn't like the idea of taking someone's money and then later on going, okay, now give me ten more bucks if you want the rest of it or if you want this, the new stuff. Like I get why people do that. I'm not saying they shouldn't do that or that it's bad. I just personally that didn't that wasn't something I was interested in doing. So yeah, I just. Put up on the on the sales page. Updates are free forever. As long as the product exists, you'll get the next version for free if you buy it. And it's worked out really well. <laughs> so you've found that um, you've found that it's given you loyalty. This is what you right believe. But when I so like when I that 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 snafu I described earlier with the emails that I sent, um, people who uh, some, the ones who hadn't heard from me in a long time were like, "Wait, you're giving me this for free." They were shocked, and they were like, "That's really cool. Like, I, I really wish I could pay you something for this. Like, that's that's really really nice." And I got lots and lots of emails like that. And I don't know. That turned out to be like one of a really a, a good decision, I think, because having all those people walking around, not just thinking that my product is good, which that's always great, but thinking that, well, this guy's really like generous, and he like isn't trying to like fleece me for more money just because it's been a while since I bought his thing. Like he just is doing what he said he would do. And having that kind of those, those kind of fans or those, those kind of advocates walking around is really, really, really valuable. Yeah. I think you can't buy that. No, no, you can't. You, I've tried and you can't. <laughs> I tried to do it for a, for a gajillion dollar chair. <laughs> and they wouldn't and allow I, it. I couldn't get a nickel worth of loyalty. <laughs> How have you gone about marketing Evernote Essentials? Have you done anything other than this, like word of mouth stuff? And I mean, I know you mentioned the little ad in the in the uh, app. Yeah, not stuff. very much. I've I mean, done you have um, an affiliate do, program, right? Yes, that's 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 the key to the kingdom, right there. But as far as marketing on my own, which this is going to, I'm going to do something more than what I have done historically. But I mostly just write uh, blog posts that are related to Evernote. This is what's known as content marketing. I don't do it a lot, and I'm pretty bad at it. But every now and again, I'll write something about Evernote that will hopefully drive people to look at the book and maybe buy it. Uh, I do a fair amount of this, actually, interviews on podcasts and things. I'm, I don't seek them out. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like I'm like out begging for interviews. I'm not. But uh, Evernote blogged about the book initially. And a bunch of um, I have a bunch of blogger friends who are pretty well-known in the personal development kind of 
entrepreneurship area and they were very gracious in helping me spread the word when it first came out, which was really great. But now it's almost all people who are affiliates of mine. That's how most of the, not most of a big chunk of the sales are through affiliates and they get, they get a cut of each sale. So people put a link up or something on on their sites and, uh, yep. Go for it. They get, they get 40% of each sale if they, that they generate. So it can be a pretty lucrative deal for some people. And it works out for you pretty well? Mm-hmm. Quite well. Well, Because I, I get the other 60%, so, you know, I'm happy. <laughs> and it was a customer that I wouldn't have otherwise had, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, they're putting, like, a banner ad or something on their, on their site or something like that, I guess. A lot of people like re- write reviews, and, oh. you know, which is helpful. That's Yeah, that's good. I mean, because yeah. I assume that they're writing a review and trying to sell the product, and they're probably writing positively about the product. <laughs> this is rubbish. Go buy it. Here's an affiliate link. <laughs> <laughs> you want to buy it anyway if you're an idiot. Here. Talk to me about email newsletters. Email newsletters. So <laughs> I, was in, uh, I was in Redwood City at the Evernote office last week. Um, I go up there every now and again. I work at my house. I don't know if anybody cares. Uh, and I my – What's that? I do. You care. Mm-hmm. Right. And my boss <laughs> said these words, email marketing is evil. He was sort of, I think, <laughs> one-third joking. I don't think he totally thinks that, but I do think he sort of believes that. And I think a lot of people think that because, you know, spam is obviously like a huge problem and everyone hates it and they love to not see it. And I think, but for me, I have, when I write things and send them to the people who are on my email list, like I don't generally, a, I don't have a problem like at telling them something that I think is good that they ought to, that they might consider buying and then, you know, getting an affiliate commission for that because I'm not just sending things out once, you know, whatever, every other Tuesday with like, okay, here's another thing you can buy. Here's another thing you can buy. I'm not treating them like human ATM machines where all I want is their money. Like I write, blog post style stuff and send it to them with no prompt, no anything. Just like I wrote this thing. I thought you might find it enjoyable. You've told me you want to hear about this topic. So here's the thing on that topic you asked about. Have a nice day. And I'm just trying to not be their pal or whatever, but just build some kind of rapport with them where I'm not just a vendor of this product that they bought, but I'm just, I'm I'm a real, you know, guy who writes stuff that they like. Now, does does that mean that ultimately they may become a someone who buys something else through a link that I send them? Sure, possibly. Do I give a crap whether they do that or not? No, not really. <laughs> like, I hope they like what I send them, and if they don't, I hope they stop asking. I hope, I hope they opt out of what I send them because I don't want anybody on there who doesn't like me, of course. And I think it's, but I, I don't know. I'm getting kind of off track, but like the whole affiliate marketing thing, which is where a lot of email marketing. A lot of the, the disdain that it comes from comes from um, affiliate marketing. Or is people who just do kind of what I described earlier, we're just sending pitches to their list all day long. Yeah. And it, that gets really tiring, and that seems really spammy and annoying. Um, but there are people, and I think I like to think of myself as one of those people who just, I'm, I mean, this is a business after all. Like, I'm not running a charity. Like, I, I do this to, on some level, make money. I want you all to like. I want. I want to have meaningful interaction with people too, but I'm not just doing this out of the kindness of my heart. And the problem is that, especially in the tech culture, so much like marketing is just seen as like this evil, like pure evil. 
And I don't know. Well, let me be real strong, but it's not bad to because marketing is how Apple does a lot of marketing. All the companies you buy from do marketing, and they don't do it in douchey ways that you don't like necessarily, or maybe they do. But it's okay for me to want to sell things to people because, like, I'm I I, I use money that I make from selling things to people to feed my kids and you know buy groceries for my family and buy my wife nice things and like live my you know be an adult grown up and I don't know getting ruffled about how somebody as long as and it's a, it's a really fine line it's hard to, to distinguish one from the other but there are people who do it right and those who do it wrong I think and <laughs> I'm going to stop right there <laughs> okay yeah, that's good that, that's that, good I, yeah I, I think that you call that out right yeah, I think you've I think you've you've gone as far as you need to go. <laughs> so Sorry we mentioned that's kind of rant. No, no, no. It, it, you, I wasn't saying that. It was just you know before you start calling people mean. <laughs> um, we mentioned earlier, and I guess a bunch of people know this. You do work at Evernote. It is you know the, the book led to an opportunity for you, um, right. which you you know obviously wanted to take because it's a company that you. You know, you really enjoy the products for you get to to do more of the sort of thing that you enjoy to do. Yep. Um, so you know, you you work at Evernote; it's your day job. You do some stuff for them there. And the, over the time that you've been at Evernote, you've seen the company. You must have seen the company go through the progression that they have. And I just wonder what that feels like being inside it, because it feels that Evernote now is very different to Evernote of twelve months, twenty four months ago, even. Um, I think it's, it's great. Like watching the company that made that made and continues to make the products that I use and like a lot, watching them grow and become like even more successful and just flourish as a business is great. It's really, really awesome. So, you know, we're going to, I'm going to assume that you have, so yeah, I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this. So, Working at Evernote, um, you must have the ability to get. I mean, it's good for you for the book, right? Because you, you, I would assume that you have the ability to get access to answers to questions and, and resources and stuff. That must, I'm sure, that must help you. Um. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty careful to keep the two separate, actually. Um. So, like, the book is is my own knowledge of my own work and like I don't well I know asking questions of my coworkers doesn't count as not as not being my knowledge or whatever but I like the book is something that I'm like okay well this is something that I just do on the side and I don't want it to be anything that interferes with my job so if I have a question about Evernote that that I want to answer to for the book like I will generally just bang on until I figure it out hmm. yeah I mean I, I do see obviously I see pre-release versions of software and stuff like that but none of that ever um, makes it into the book. No, like it helps you prepare, though. I would assume. Sort of. I mean, yeah. I I generally I have this little internal deal with myself where I don't write about anything. I don't start writing about anything until it's out publicly. So that's fair. You know, because I want. I don't know. Like I, I would just rather it be everything be above board. Yeah, because you know, the book is separate, as you say, to to your job. It's not like the Evernote guide. Right. Uh, because then it would make sense. But I guess there are other people that have written books about Evernote 
And it would be kind of unfair to those people if the guy at Evernote is able to to get all of the to get the skinny, and then on a day that Evernote five comes out, you've got all your updates done. Right. Yeah, I I'm not into that. Yeah, and that's that's very admirable of you. Thank you. So. I want to know how you. I want to get some information from you. How you use Evernote? So you know, you 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 know, this is something that you write about on your blog. But let's let's get some some stuff from you. So what go for you, Mister Brett Kelly? What goes into Evernote? Boy, um, a lot of PDFs. A lot of I scan a lot of stuff on my my handy ScanSnap uh, scanner. Um, meeting notes, receipts. Um, like I do a lot of one-off sort of list making in Evernote. Mm-hmm. One of the, okay, one of the coolest things I use Evernote for. Uh, there's an app for iOS called Place Me, and it's sort of it's just this app that I haven't opened it in months. I don't I don't you don't even need to open it. it it's one of those. Um, it's got a bunch of geofencing stuff set up in it where wherever I go throughout a given day, it just keeps track of wherever I. Go like if I go to the coffee shop for an hour, it just has you know a little list of wherever wherever I've been. Coffee shop for an hour, home for two hours, grocery store, etc. So at the end of each day, a new note is created in my Evernote account that shows me everywhere I was the the day before. And that sounds like kind of narcissistic and goofy, but I love being able to go back and find exactly when I was at some place, especially if it's not somewhere like near here. Like I can tell you exactly when I was in Vegas last and where I went when I was there, and I don't know. I find that to be a cool little like memory jogging thing. So if that's place me, that's a really good app. Um, let's see what else. Memories. Yeah, yeah. Um, we take a lot. I, I take a lot of pictures of my kids because you know that's what parents do. Um, <laughs> and also like photos where, when we're out and about, especially so I can same deal remembering where it, where it happened because you know geotags all the the geotags each note when you when you take a photo or when you add a note. And yeah, it's uh, plans for like the Evernote Essentials book text lived there originally. It doesn't anymore, but like when I want to do updates to the book, like those are all in a notebook in Evernote. Um, plans for other ventures that I'm cooking up for the future are all in Evernote. Um, I share all my tax documents with my accountant through Evernote. All sorts of different stuff. Do you use all of the the Evernote apps? Do you use like Hello and and Food and Penultimate and Sketch and all those crazy things? I use Sketch like crazy, especially on my Mac. I like I, I know a lot of people are kind of whatever, but I, I like it a lot. I use it a lot. Um, I use Hello occasionally, not very much, mostly because I work at my house and the only person I see ever with any regularity is my wife. So, <laughs> Just keep updating her contact information. We've met, yeah. <laughs> Although it's just this endless stream of met Joanna, met Joanna, met Joanna. Um, and I, I don't know. And food, I use it. Actually, I use it because I, I, I cook uh, dinner at our house once a week. That's my one of, the, one of the one things I do, a few things I do around here. And what I'll generally do is find the recipe on some website and then clip it to Evernote. And then I can open it. will usually Evernote. Sorry. Uh, Evernote will figure out that it's a recipe and put it into food. And then I'll just prop it up on my iPad while I cook. Um, but that's pretty much. I don't. We don't. We eat out a lot. We don't. We don't eat out a lot. And then we, when we do, it's generally pretty like whatever. Not really interesting enough to to document. So because um, a lot of the people who work at Evernote are big, big, big like foodies, and they really love weird, you know, Asian fish egg 
coded stuff that I'm like not interested in personally. <laughs> so I think that was the genesis of the food idea. Although yeah. I could be making that up. Um, penultimate, I used I use it every now and again. I don't do a lot. My handwriting is abysmal, and that's primarily why I would use penultimate. But every now and again, my kids and I we have a little uh, stylus for my iPad that we'll draw pictures with and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, I use obviously. Evernote proper, I use that all the time. Sketch all the time. The rest of them to varying degrees, depending on what I'm doing. Um, at Richards, I think he was on apps.net, asked how, roughly how many notebooks do you use um, and do you use tags as well? For your so notes? I actually had Evernote closed, <laughs> but I'm going to log in right now and tell you. And I'll ask you another question while you're checking out. Have you tried out the, the Moleskins? Do you use those? Um, I Yeah, I have one actually right here at my desk. Um, like I said about my handwriting a minute ago, that it's just crap. Mm. So I mostly just treat it like a notebook. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't very rarely will uh, photograph the pages like you're supposed to. Um, I have done it a few times and it is, it does work really well. But um, most of the notes I write in the notebook are just like meeting notes since I'm, my keyboard's really loud so I can't type. We've had that conversation before. Many, many times. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just handwrite notes in the notebook. And like I said, every now and again, I'll, I'll photograph a page. But um, a lot of people at, at the office use them like crazy, and they're you know I've seen a lot of people outside the office too who use them, and they're this is pretty amazing. But I personally, yeah, my handwriting sucks, so I don't I don't handwrite as much as I should. Yeah. Okay. Notebooks. <laughs> oh, there's no count. Oh man, probably okay. Ballpark, probably about eighty. Okay, so lots, and and they're ones that you actually use. Some of them are just uh, old. Like I, I, for a while, I don't do this a ton anymore. I used to put, uh, I used to create special notebooks for uh, individual like events, like vacations and conferences and stuff like that. And then I just moved them all into a stack called like Event Archive. Um, those are pretty much they just stay there. I don't change them a lot or do anything with them. Um, but yeah, most of these are in some ways being used semi-regularly some of them a lot some of them not so much but most of them are used you know well i have a lot of stuff automatically archived at evernote too through uh ifttt ifty or whatever if so yeah i do use tags my this is one of a uh do as i say not as i do kind of things because my tags are a little out of control and I need to clean them up. I've probably got, geez, 500 tags. Some of them have one note or zero notes attached to them. So that's something I need to fix. But yeah, I do think tags are useful, yes. So I think that, you know, obviously we've spoken a lot about publishing today. And I think that um, another show on this network, the last two episodes of the Enough podcast that I do with Patrick Rowan, people would enjoy. And we had a, because we've been talking about, about sort of self-publishing and finding publishers and stuff like that so you know people that are interested in that i would suggest that they go and find that out now i think that we've kind of come to the end of this conversation okay um you know i've i I've, I've got through everything that i wanted to speak to you about and the reason i say that and say it differently to how i would usually round up a show is because things are about to get a little bit strange <laughs> for people maybe well now now it's on the spot now it's not even well, no, yeah. it, not not so much that me and you were about to start a comedy routine. 
But <laughs> that's how you made it sound. Yeah, we, me and Brett, used to have a show together. We had a podcast together called Cooking with Brett and Mike, which, contrary to popular belief, which you know is quite obvious why you would think that was not anything about cooking in any way. Nope. Um, and I just I wanted to talk about it because basically everybody that listened to the show wanted us to talk about it today. So that was like four people. <laughs> <laughs> we had more than four. I, My mom had, didn't answer. She listened. There was six people. So oh, okay. we basically it was a – you can still find the episodes of the show um, on, and I'll put a link to, in the show notes. But you can still find them at 70decibels.com forward slash cooking with. And I guess the show wasn't really about anything. It was just kind of about everything that we enjoyed. Um, and it had lots of running jokes and ones, some things that I've had to stop myself from saying during the episode. And I don't know. <laughs> and how long ago did we did we finish up? Let's oh, see. man. November. Well, you know what we could, you know what we could do? It was November 2000. <laughs> look at that link you just mentioned. Yeah, that's what I have. Yeah, it was November 6th, 2012. Which, and it actually feels like it was longer ago than that. But It does. That was when we recorded our last episode of, of our program. Um, because, you know, you decided that you were too big for me. And yep. that you had to go away and start pursuing other projects. <laughs> Thanks for making me look like a dick, Mike. I appreciate it. <laughs> I, was, I was kind of making it... Um, I was trying to make a joke out of it. As in, that wasn't really well, what happened, but I guess it uh, kind okay. of was what happened, right? No, it was. <laughs> we had a lot of fun doing the show together, and uh, this is kind of what the show was like. This conversation that we're having right now. I was just as ranty and disjointed as I was on this past episode. No, I, I think that we did a very professional job. I don't think people would ever know that we had a an amateur podcast together. I think that <laughs> amateur. We did good. Yeah. All right. I suppose that's fair. We're all amateurs. Anyway, we had a show, and <laughs> this is a little. This is a fun trip down memory lane, people, or whatever. A fun nostalgia. You need to. You need to. You know. You need to just just give people a taste of the accent. That's all they want. Well, yeah, that that will do. Taste of the accent. Yeah, accent, accent. I've seen you, you, yeah, you've lost it now. You see, not I know. To I me every to do week. It, you know, for twenty minutes every week, it, and now, you know, it was a perfect. It was a perfect. Um, rendition of me that Brett did that got better and better over time like a fine wine <laughs> exactly mate <laughs> mate oh good cheese you know don't it <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh Mr. Kelly it's all, it's always a pleasure to talk to you likewise Miguel so why don't you tell people you know what, where are good places to find out about you oh boy uh so you can go to nerdgap.com and you can find links to the booker and my, uh, the book and my Twitter account and et cetera. My Twitter account's unspellable, unsayable. So just go there and look for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe we could, we could show Nate it. That never took off by the way. Show Nate. Yeah. That was a word that you come up with. Yeah. I love yeah. that word. It's a good um, word. And yeah, so you can go there and that, that will take you wherever you want to go. You can go to brettkelly.org too. If you want to read another blog that I write every now and again, that has nothing to do with anything important. Cool. Yeah. I am oh, you, Michael. Uh, I am I Mike. I am Y K E. Nothing changed there. Um next week I'm going to be joined by Mr. Scott Johnson, um, who is a, a fellow podcaster and he also writes a webcomic strip called Extra Life. 
So it's going to be a different kind of show, talking about some different things. Um, I want to thank you all for, for tuning in and listening to this week's episode of Command Space. Thank you to Mr. Kelly for joining me. And uh, until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>